What's up, Carly Lloyd? Good to have you with us. Good to be here with you all. We're all just sitting around talking about how old we all feel. Everyone was complaining about their <laughs> hips, their this, their that. How are you feeling? Well, if you see me changing position multiple times, that's because my one hip might be a little bit tight, and uh, Mo's whole body is tight over there. Everything. This is the most uncomfortable. I, I feel like this makes me look more professional. So just so you know, I go through pain for the sake of this show. I go through pain oh, sitting like this for the sake of this show, oh, all right? There we go. This is not comfortable well, He doesn't go through pain a lot. He's hardly ever here, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for making making appearance today. They told me you were coming, so I yeah. said, all right, clearing my schedule, I will be here. Appreciate that. Well, <laughs> team How player. long have you been retired now? Is it like, it's nearly two years. Yeah, right? two, two years in uh, November. How fit are you still? Uh, I mean, we were kicking it. Oh. Hey. <laughs> we we played about. probably four or five times over in Australia at the Women's World Cup. Okay. Yeah, so I was... And yeah. you feel good out there? feel pretty good. You do? Yeah, maybe to not Heather O'Reilly's level because she's pretty psychotic still, but um, I feel all right. You she's know, still the, training the, for the, her ninja warrior. The sprint gears, maybe not so much. So we're, what is it now? Uh, we're a couple of months removed from the World Cup, right? Uh, obviously, that's a huge talking point, especially um, for you. You were there. You were with Fox. How would you look back on your experience? I would say it was an amazing experience. I think it was something that, like you all know, I, 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 didn't, I was trying to talk myself out of, I think, getting into the TV space, um, maybe because I didn't think I'd be necessarily good or I would like it or I'd want to do it. Uh, but, you know, Fox and my agent were pushing kind of to get me to the Men's World Cup. Went and worked eight days, felt like I worked, you know, 20 at that point. <laughs> TV is, is different. It's uh -huh. different than on the field. That's a different grind. But uh, really glad that I had that experience because then I just felt so much more comfortable going to the Women's World Cup. And it was great. I mean, it was, a, it was an amazing World Cup from just a, an on-the-field performance by all teams, um, really exciting. And then, you know, what I do best is I, I'm just myself, and I think that that's what I brought. I'm not somebody that's just going to kind of give fluff. I'm going to give my honest assessment. And, uh, you know, I was, I was enjoying being, being able to do that. I feel like for Clint, there's almost like a parallel, right? Because you weren't sure about doing media. And yeah. I think for you, I don't want to speak out to him, but I think it was like a lack of trust almost. Like, these guys haven't always represented me well. I don't know if I, if I want to be team media. Did you feel like that to some extent? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, I, I think that's probably why we, we maybe, you know, get along a bit. But I, I feel like there's similar parallels. Like, we played with a chip on our shoulder a bit. You know, I, I came into the, the U.S. soccer scene. I wasn't... I wasn't somebody that was necessarily being groomed to be the star of the team, nor do I think U.S. soccer really wanted me to be the star of the team. I think that they pretty much probably wanted to see others rise, um, but I was just so unconventional in what I did. You know, I, I brought my authentic self from start to finish. I was, you know, did it in my way. I was unconventional in the way I trained and the way I approached my career the way I took care of myself, I did things differently, I did fitness differently. So I did everything different from the team, but you know, I wanted to win, that's, you, that's why I was there. When you say you don't think U.S. soccer wanted you to be the star. Wait, can I just clarify, who do we mean when we say U.S. soccer? Like we mean It's a federation, the head coach, but either yeah. way, when did it click for you that you feel that's how you feel? I mean, I felt slighted and everything. I mean, I didn't have a, I wasn't with the agency that was sort of coupled with U.S. soccer where a majority of the players 
played um, with that, you know, ha had those agents representing them. That matches? Of course, deals, sponsorships, every bit of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just think, you know, U.S. soccer, they, they like people that maybe just conform to the way that they want someone to represent them. And, and what I was, does that mean? What is that way that they want to be represented? Ah, and I how mean, didn't you fit that? Like a bit of a puppet, I guess you could say. You know, somebody that just comes and goes about their business. And so they, they essentially, I feel like they groom players coming in to be the stars. And then when someone else comes in, it's, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a resistance of what, what can we do? Can we not publicize this player as much or give them enough attention. I mean, I felt like that throughout my entire career. Like it was so hard, you know, for 10 years of my career, no sponsorships, like barely anything, no opportunities, grinding away, you know, figuring out what do, what do I have to do to, to have the world understand what I'm about or see the, the type of player I am. And I mean, I had to score a hat trick in a World Cup final. You know, people are like, oh, where'd this player come from? I'm like, I've been there for I'll 10 years. I've, I've been, <laughs> been scoring game-winning goals and, you know, Algarve Cups and Olympics and all this stuff. But that's just the way the world works as far as showcasing players. You know, they're not always highlighting the, the best players. They're some, oftentimes highlighting the most marketable players to sell jerseys, to sell this, to sell that. Can you relate yeah, to that? Yeah, I mean, I deal with what, what, what she's saying 100%. I felt like I wasn't part of the Bradenton Academy. So you can't show like, look, this is a product that we're creating and these are, these are the players that should be. I'm the person that fell through the cracks, shouldn't have made it, you know, still was going the college route because that, that, that's all I knew. And then the way that I played, the way that I acted, I wasn't like your poster child of who they wanted to be the, the main guy. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, similar to Carly, all I wanted to do was win, be the best that I could. Um, have the longest career as I could have, make the most money that I, I could to take care of my family. And that's, that's how I felt. I felt I was not the, not the person ever that they really wanted to be the, the main guy or the, the main person. But, but you taking that approach, like you deciding, I want to do things my way, was that more so a reaction to all that? Or is that stuff that you were already doing? This was already like who you are, you, you train your way, you do things your way, and then it just kind of worked. Or was it more reactionary to now being a part of U.S. soccer and being a part of the national team and seeing that environment and saying, okay, well, that doesn't really fit me. I'm going to do it this way. No, I, I came in straight away. Like, I experimented. You know, I, I lifted weights, but then I started to feel slow and sluggish. And so then I stopped doing that and kind of explained to the sports science people that, hey, lifting weights doesn't make me feel great. I'm going to focus more on body weight stuff. But it was always deemed as me trying to be difficult and me wanting to do my own thing. So it turned into this thing where I, I didn't have, there was no margin in, of error for me in my career at all. Like some other players got a le long leash of, they could go in a, a goal scoring drought for X amount of weeks and it, it not be a problem. For me, if I was gonna do it my way and do it the unconventional way and, and do things differently, I couldn't, I couldn't mess up. I couldn't slip up at all. I guess what was weird for me is that from the outside looking in, I've just always considered you one of the faces of, of US soccer, right? And so to hear that you didn't feel like you were chosen by them to represent you, did that, did that change at a point when, 
when you're leading them to wins in a Women's World Cup? Does that switch or did you continue to feel that way the rest of your career? I think I forced it. When I first got on the team, I mean, I, I scored the winning goal in 2008 Olympic final. Scored the two winning, you know, winning goal in 2012 Olympic final. Um, the, the only two goals in that final. But after that, all you ever heard of were everybody else aside from me. Several other, you know, key players. Um, you'd see billboards, you'd see interviews, sponsorship, like none of that was going to me. So then we get to 2015 and, you know, we won that World Cup because of some yellow card suspensions. That was the only reason I was pushed into a more of attacking role. I had the freedom to, to play the way that I play and I scored three goals in a World Cup final. And so I forced them. Like I went against everything that, uh, you know, I, I think that they essentially, you know, were, were having all these other stars. I mean, they groom stars and they, and they build stars before they're even born. That's, that's just what they do. I mean, they're doing it now, you know, Pulsic. You know, he, the poor guy's playing with so much pressure because he's being thrown into this as like having to be the face of U.S. soccer. Mallory Swanson, you know, she was the next big thing coming in and it's all this pressure, it's all this attention. Um, but, you know, I look back and I'm thankful because having that, like having to prove myself, having to have that chip on, on my shoulder and the media, the fans, um, it, it allowed me to have the career that I had. Do, do you have, looking back now, now that you've had a chance to kind of like step away from it, look at your career and then look at the current state of like U.S. soccer and everything from a, from a different perspective and standpoint, you have any regrets about anything? No, I don't really have any regrets. I don't have any regrets of how I approached my career. Um, I took the long game approach and it was the most rewarding way to navigate through my career because the day that I walked off that field representing the U.S. national team, it was the greatest feeling in the world because I stuck it to everybody. Like nobody thought that I was gonna do what I did. I didn't even think I was gonna do what I did. But uh, you know, everybody that was rooting against me, everybody that wanted to see me fail, I had the last, I had the last laugh. Did you have a teammate that you could kind of con confide in? I mean, there was, there was some. Like I didn't let my guard down much. I couldn't because I couldn't trust anybody. That's the reality of it. I mean, everybody looks at the U.S. Women's National Team and they think, 23 best friends, everybody gets a lot. No, it's the most dysfunctional group of players, but the most unbelievable environment to ever be in. Because How's that you, work, though? Because you win. It, dysfunctional in what way? It's, it's, it's unhealthy. It's, it's the, you know, the, the, the grinding, the having to compete for spots, the who's getting deals and, you know, what person's on a commercial this week and next. I, I mean, it's just, it's human nature. Do you all relate to that, though? Is that how it felt for you guys on, so on a national I was team gonna ask, I was going to ask because I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, because of, I don't know, if we take it back to, like, when we were playing, the bulk share of our salaries are coming from our club teams, right? And so national team is just kind of, like, more so, it's, it's the fact that you're part of the national team and then whatever pay comes from that, it's not, not life-changing money in regard to comparison to what our right. club salaries were. So I'm just curious, is the dynamic different from that standpoint because the national team, 
those are going to be like kind of the highest paid players on, from the women's side. And so you guys are competing for endorsements, which would be a, a good chunk of money coming in. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Is, and is that accurate as well? Totally, yeah. I mean, because that was that was pretty much our, our livelihood, our right. salaries. I mean, we essentially with the NWSL for so many years, U.S. soccer paid our salaries, you know, in our U.S. soccer checks right. as a separate, you know, check coming in to play in the NWSL. So, So yeah, everybody was, had to negotiate their own salary within the national team or did everybody make the same? The way we had it structured, structured back in the day, there were a couple different tiers, whatever tier the coach ended up, you know, putting you in tier one, tier two, or, you know, that, that, then it got a little strange as well because it's like then you've got some tier two players that perhaps end up making a World Cup squad or an Olympic squad. It was, you know, it's cutthroat. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that's life in itself. Um, but, yeah, it was... Look, I couldn't let my guard down. I couldn't trust people, whether that was the right approach or not. I was there to win. I wasn't there to be liked. I was there to be respected, to earn the respect of other players. And that's all I cared about. I didn't kiss ass to anybody. I didn't kiss ass to the PR guy, to the coaches, to anybody. No, I, I treated everybody with respect, whether you were the CEO of U.S. Soccer or whether you were the equipment manager. And that's all, that's all that I did. I wanted to treat people the way that I wanted to be treated. Um, it's dysfunctional in a sense of you've got human nature, you've got a whole group of women that are trying to make rosters. Yeah. I mean, I don't know you very well, right? But the little that I do know you, I, I think you're super direct and I really respect that about you. So if you don't have an agent and you don't feel comfortable with the way you're being treated and brought through the ranks within US soccer, are you having those conversations directly with somebody? Hey, why aren't I being put forward for sponsorship deals? Why aren't I getting promoted? Oh, I had several. How did Straight to the source, straight to the, the PR person, straight to... Uh, the head PR person, we're playing a game in Philadelphia. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's not New Jersey, but it's home. Yeah. Not one banner down the streets in Philly. There was a banner of somebody else, Julie Ertz, which I love Julie Ertz. Her husband, you know, at the time was mm -hmm. playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. How do you not have, and this was towards the end of my career, how do you not have, a, how do you not have my picture up anywhere? So oh, yeah, I had, I had several conversations. And what kind of responses would you get? Oh, yeah, you know, you're, yeah, we get it, you know. It, it, just, we, we it, get just, what? it just fell on deaf ears. I mean, it was just the same stuff over and over again. They, they picked several players that they wanted to, to, to market, that they wanted to highlight, and that's what always happened. So it was like, all right, every time I go out on the field, like, I'm going to have to show you. It was, it was a constant battle. And this was dating back to, you know, post-2012, where I actually felt like I had a right, because of what I did on the field, to say, hey, come on. How am I not in the, mm -hmm. the top five mix of, of players here? I mean, you look at Michelle Akers, you know, she was a force to be reckoned with. Was she the most marketed, most popular player back in the day? No. Now she is. Now she is because people realize how good of a player she, she was. But in the moment, you know, they weren't marketing her. They weren't putting her on posters and commercials and, and all of that. Did you ever have a conversation with her? No, I never did. No. But I think she, you know, I think she gets it. 
I think she's, she's seen it. How can you not? As a woman, do you think that we're treated differently in that kind of scenario? Is it about, hey, this physical look appeals to X, Y, Z, so this is someone we're really going to push in a way that I feel like men don't necessarily, and like they don't come across that kind of dynamic in the same way? I do, yeah, I do. And that was sort of, you talk about, you know, my mindset kind of going into my career. I wanted to be respected for what I did on the field. Not for, you know, posing for a magazine or swimsuit edition, like none of that. Like I didn't want to even entertain that because I didn't want anything to be, um, you know, I didn't want any bias towards who I was as a player. And so I, I you know, I just, I, I built my brand for with, with how I wanted to be portrayed and, and to be seen. And so I didn't wear makeup when I was playing. Turned down Dancing with the Stars. Oh, Mo wasn't turning that down, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it's crazy to me though, because like, with that being said, right? Like after you have that success, after whether it's the Olympic success or, or World Cup success, how does that not like, from their standpoint and their mindset, how does that not just now put you at the forefront? How are you not the one who's gonna sell the most jerseys? You know what I mean? Like, because I wasn't, I didn't fit their mold. I did everything different, everything from the agent, from my fitness, wanting to do more fitness and actually getting in trouble because I wanted to do more fitness. I mean, I just did everything different and I, I think that it wasn't, wasn't their mold. Like it just never felt good enough. Like nothing ever felt good enough. And you know, and, and leaving, I think they all realize, but at the time, when I'm trying to earn a living and you know, when I'm, I'm trying to give my, my all to the team and win and, and be the best that I possibly can be, then to not really have the support of a federation that you're playing for, to not really feel like you're really respected in that manner, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty shitty. So does that concern you for a future generation coming through? If there's another like Carly Lloyd out there who does think differently or who doesn't fit the mold but is just as gifted, just as talented? Is she going to find it difficult to break through still? Perhaps, but I think there's so much fundamentally wrong that uh, it's, that's, that's a whole nother episode. Okay, let's start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what's wrong? I mean, everybody, you know, I think everybody's kind of on this, that, oh, it's okay, you know, we'll bring in a new coach that ticks the boxes, we'll tactically, we'll play a lot better, because they'll come in, we'll technically be better, you know, we want to possess the ball. I don't care what boxes you tick. There's, there's, no, there's no development at the youth stage. It's all about winning. You've got clubs that are in conflict you know, with, with one another and it's all political and it's, it's you know, who's all in ECNL and yeah. who's not and what's fair, what's not. So you've got no players that you're developing up the ranks. And then you look at the youth national teams, they have been failing all of these years while the senior team has been winning, so everybody's turned a blind eye to that. And now, where, where are the players coming from? They're coming from all the way up. And I just look at this team and the, the champion mentality that, that we've had throughout the years uh, since the inception of this team, that dog mentality, you've got none of that. The character, the respect, you know, Technically, tactically, you could be great and have a coach that comes in, and, but if you don't have all those other things, 
there, there's no winning that's going on. And I think what we've seen with players, and, and you, you guys probably see it with the generation of players, it's, it's different, right? Like we had that dog mentality in us where maybe coaches didn't have to coach that or motivate the players. Now they don't have that. I look at the U.S. Women's National Team. I mean, Julie left, uh, Julie Ertz just left, but aside from her, I don't see one player that has that mindset. And who do you think that falls on, though? Like, not the not the youth development, because I think that's a bigger and broader kind of um, responsibility, but like the individual players and that dog mentality as a collective amongst that team. Because I know when I came into the national team, right? I came in, there's about six or seven of us that came into our first camp, and there was only like maybe one or two spots that weren't in ink, right? So our mentality was like, we gotta scrap, we gotta scrape, we gotta fight to earn the respect of all those players that we're coming into the team with, but more than that, to even get on the pitch. So I feel like I came into an environment where the senior players straight away, they welcomed us, they invited us in, but they challenged us, they checked us, they kept us in line, right? So do you feel like the responsibility falls on the players who are helping to bring in these younger players, or should these players be coming in with that characteristic on their own? I think now, it's just different. That era is different. I think that it's a, it's, it's now falls more on the coach. I agree with that. You know, like, like U.S. soccer's they've, they've kind of gone about this the wrong way. I mean, Vlaco and Onofsky was nice guy, really nice guy. Just because you're nice doesn't mean you're going to win championships, though. You've got to make hard decisions. You know, I look at the Olympics, my last Olympics. You know, we had line changes up top because he couldn't, he couldn't choose all six veteran players of the three that he wanted out there all, at all times. So what do we do? We just, I play one game, Alex plays the next game. I play another, Alex, you can't do that. Like you've gotta be tough. You've gotta, you've gotta be direct. You've gotta tell people what they need to hear and they may, may not like it, but I think the whole mindset needs to be different. The, 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 you almost need a Deion Sanders to come in and, and literally motivate the group, make the group feel really uneasy that, that none of them are safe and that any moment their, their spot could just be gone in a second. And you've, you've got to get them just totally uh, thinking a, a different way. But I, I, I think it's I different. I like that. I agree with that. I think it's important that you have a culture within a team as a coach that everybody, you have to play your way into the games, right? How you practice, you have to earn your spot to be a starter. You don't just come in and you automatically start, right? I think it's important. And, and it's a little bit more difficult on the national team level because everybody's with their club teams when they come in. But for sure on the club level, like if you have a culture where you have to like fight every week to get into that starting lineup, that gets everybody bought in and you have more of that dog mentality. But like you said, being able to make those tough decisions when your back's against the wall and, and, and be able to not, it's not about favorites, it's about who's gonna win the game for you. The reason why I asked if it like falls on the players is because I do agree. I do think the coach plays an incredible role in all that because a coach helps to set the culture. But with that being said, the coach changes a lot more frequently, right? So when I look back at like our playing days, every time you played against the US, you gotta fight like hell. You gotta scrap. We we're gonna be hard to beat first and foremost. And I think that was kind of a reflection of the veteran players. I think when the torch got passed from one generation to the next, the players that came in, they inherited that straight away. They took on that responsibility of being like, whether it's big brother, but then also being like 
father of a household where you got to discipline these young players, make sure they know they're not walking in and it's not going to be a cakewalk for them. So that's why I was asking, do you think there was more responsibility or there should be more responsibility on some of these veteran players to hold people accountable and shape the culture? Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I first came onto the team and I had Mia Hamm screaming at me because I didn't play the ball to her proper foot. Brianna Scurry in goal <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't track back yeah. in a 5v5 game. Like, it has to be hard. And I think all these players, you know, want to come in and want to feel comfortable, want to be able to express themselves. No, it doesn't work like that. Just do your job, come in, put the work in. But, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got the Federation setting their temperatures in their hotel rooms Wait, at this what? last World Cup. Like, come on. Would you ever be interested in coaching? No. <laughs> Difference. Do you care about the way that the current generation that maybe listened to this or listened to you at the World Cup, do you, do you care about the way that they feel when they hear you kind of making some of these statements? That this current generation lacks X, Y, Z. There is not one player that you see on the roster that has that dog. No, I mean, Lindsay Horan displays that, but there, there's not many of them that can, there's not, I mean, we, we had a, a plethora of them. But does it bother team. you how people feel when they hear that? Or you just... No, I don't... I don't really care. No? No. <laughs> okay. Because I, I lived and breathed it. Like, right. I feel comfortable and confident to be able to sit here, to be able to be on TV and, and say what I said because I walk the walk. I did it every single day from start to finish for 17 years straight. Whether I was a starter or whether I was, you know, at one point in 2019 World Cup for a period of three years, I was, I was a sub. So it didn't, it didn't matter. I, I just, I thought that that was my obligation from the previous generation mm -hmm. of players to continue to pass that down. So how did you then feel about the public reaction? Because you became one of the biggest storylines. Like, that was international news. I know in, in the UK that was reported on, like, the comments that you made surrounding... The, the, the Women's World Cup and the U.S. Women's National Team specifically in their subpar performance, right? Celebrating after a result that you felt they had no right to be celebrating after. How did you feel about the public response to you personally? Who said it was, you know, it was politically or personally oh, motivated, et cetera. Yeah, I know my husband was like, wow, you've, you've really made some news of it. <laughs> I'm like, it's still going, huh? You know? Um, I mean, I, you know, obviously heard the rumblings and, and whatnot, but he said it was a, you know, pretty big news story over here in the U.S. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's no different than, I guess, how people and what people have said throughout my career. I mean, people think that, they know me. People think that, you know, they knew who I am, they know what I represent, they know my beliefs, they know my opinions, all these things, and, and they, they, they really don't know probably not even 10% of, of who I truly am because as my career, as it played in my career, like I said, I didn't let my guard down. It was tunnel vision, focus. I didn't let the world really see anything other than that. And I didn't really let my teammates see any, anything other than that. But when I came home with my support system and family, friends, husband, that's me. You know, they know who I am. So all of these things that people are going to say, um, I mean, did they win? No, they didn't. I knew they weren't going to win. And it's not because I don't want them to win. I just, I saw the trajectory of where the team was going and I know what it takes to win. And so when people are asking me, 
right after I retired, as the World Cup's leading up, is this team going to win? I, I, I don't think so. So it, it wasn't anything different. And, you know, I've been obviously following Deion Sanders, big fan. I, I don't watch college football, but I'm now tuning in. You know, and they're, and they're giving him shit about the sunglasses, the hat, all these things. He didn't just start doing that. That's been him. But with the U.S. Women's National Team, they did just start doing that. That was not the culture of the team to rock up to a game, put your sunglasses on, dance out on the field before a game. Is it a youth culture, though? Yeah, I, I think so. But that, that's the coach's job, and that's the, the leadership's job to... If I saw that, if I was a, if I was a part of that team, I, I, would, I would raise hell and I would... I would go directly to the people, players, and tell them to take their sunglasses off and stop dancing. Right, what, what, was, what was the commercial that was before the World Cup? Like, the, the world is going to, like, figure the U.S. women's team? Was that, was that uh, a commercial the, that the was The U.S. versus the... It was Foxes, I think. U.S. Oh, okay. versus the world, right? Maybe? And they yeah, had a yeah huge... the rest of the world was in, in, in yeah. fear. And, and, you know, USA. and teams see that. And they're like, nah. That gives them extra motivation, and that's fine. We always had a target on our backs, but we could always back it up. We always brought it. And yeah, it was when I reacted in the moment, you guys know you're sitting at the desk, the TVs are down there. I just, I was looking at this in real time and I was appalled. Like this wasn't a production meeting of, hey, what's your, what's your reaction gonna right. be if you, that, it was live. Like, and it came from my heart because I, I poured my heart and soul out onto that team for, for so many years and you just look at some players and you just think that they're just taking every moment for granted. I mean, you, Charlie, your accident, you know, back in the, like, it's, a, it's an honor to represent the crest, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you would have done anything you could to, Hell to yeah. be back in that moment, you I, know? I, I did everything I could to try and get back and just wasn't meant to be, yeah. but that was something where I'm like, I want people to know that when you have these opportunities to cherish them and to make the most of it, because I'm one example of someone who, who felt like had the world at my feet and that bad decision of, of you know, going out that night cost me my U.S. Men's National Team career yeah. and I'm never getting back, no matter how Blink much I eye. tried. And so I, I, I'm always telling, you know, any player I talk to, please, <laughs> Give it your all, because mm -hmm. you you may not get another chance. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and I know there's there there's so many things you can't control. You guys have been a part of it. I mean, so many coaches that I played for, where I'm like, I, I don't agree with what you're doing, but like you just have to sacrifice and you just have to do it. And you hear all the commentators talking about all, oh, you know, Carly Louie can't put a ball in the back of the net, and but little do they know that there's. There's so much going on behind the scenes that is not maybe allowing me to play freely or I'm not, you know, feeling confident, whatnot. I get that. So I get that it wasn't just an all-players thing. Like, I, I get that the coaching was not good enough, the tactical flexibility, you know, the, the team's technical ability, all of that. But the thing you can control is, is your actions and what you bring. And it was just it was hard to see. You know how you said I, I, what I said on, on the Fox broadcast, I said that, that came from like my heart because of my personal investment, right? You strike me as a like, I said what I said type person. But it, there did almost seem like a moment where you, re, you retracted to some extent. Were you asked to apologize? 
No, uh, definitely not asked to apologize. I think, you know, the next morning come, kind of coming in for production meetings, it's like, okay, you know, I, I went real hard. And I don't want people to think that I don't care. Um, you know, it's sort because of, you care so much. Yeah. That, that's why you got upset and were passionate about exactly. it because you want them to win. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, I don't want to come in the next day and, and be talking about the situation and beating a dead horse again. It's like I said what I said. And I wanted people to understand that this is coming from a, a place of care. I mean, and everything that I said on air, I said to the team. I said to the team, I, I got up and spoke the night before my last game playing with the national team. They presented me with gifts. Everybody was in the room, players, coaches, support staff, everybody. And I talked about never taking anything for granted. You know, you've got to work for everything that you get. That's the mentality, that's the DNA of this team. So it was, it was, it was nothing that I hadn't already said to the, the, to the team, but you know, everyone's like, oh, she apologized, you know, she bent the knee. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't apologize. I just simply reiterated that I poured my heart and soul into this team and I cared. Do you think, it, and I think because you care so much and then also because you're close to this team, you played with a lot of these players, you know these players, you know, what they do well, what they don't do well, you know, their habits on and off the pitch. I think, does it partially come from that as well, right? That reaction in the moment is maybe things that you saw, that you saw hints of when you were playing still that were leading up to this moment. And now you've seen that it has manifested in a negative way, in a way that you hoped wouldn't happen. Is that kind of what was also feeling that? Yeah, I mean, it was 2020 Olympics. It was a disaster. I mean, we were facing crisis control after we lost to Canada. And then we're going in and playing in the, the bronze medal game against Australia. You know, we didn't, we didn't talk tactics after that game. We talked what's going on, what's the problem with coaches. And then we talked as a team. And I hadn't said anything all tournament long. And finally, I just erupted, went off said to people, you don't, you know, your, your Gucci shoes, your house, your cars, none of that comes unless you win on the field. So when your brand becomes bigger than the, the wanting to win, that, that, that's a problem. So like as a fan and a viewer, kind of watching the build up to the Women's World Cup, I thought America were one of the favorites. Maybe that's just an assumption based off winning pedigree. Right, but given that winning, ped winning pedigree of the U.S., you really thought that there was no chance that this team could go ahead and win the Women's World Cup? No. No, I, I think that, yes, they're talented, but are they really that talented? Like, that's, that's the question. I mean, I, I, looked at other, I looked at other teams, other players, Linda Caicedo, Columbia, Lauren James, England. I mean, the stuff that they're doing on the ball I said it, as a baller. It, it doesn't really Chill compare to, to, to the players. And, and I think that that's, that's going to be the tricky thing with U.S. soccer is you've now, we used to be, you know, fit. We used to be mentally tough, um, you know, tactically, technically, you know, okay. But now you have, you have nothing. You have none of those traits. Like the team's not fit. They don't train hard. They were not training hard towards the end of my career. 
They're all on limited minutes. They're all needing to be rested. They're all not allowed to take, you know, 10 extra reps of shooting. And I was able to do what I needed to do because I had proven myself. And I'm like, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to go do extra and you're not going to tell me otherwise. The coaches are saying you can't do extra? Or who's saying um, this? Trainer? Coaches, sports science. You know, I had to get, I had to get um, uh, Vlaco's blessing to, when he first came onto the team, I said to him, hey, I'm just letting you know, I used to have to sneak out to go do extra running. <laughs> I'm just coming to you now. Can you, can you say that again? Because I don't think that... I, I, got, I got bad hearing, so I, I don't know if I heard that. I had to sneak out of my hotel room, go to a city, Google, find a patch of grass, and go do some running. And I said to him, instead of me sneaking out, I'm just being honest with you, that I need, may need to do extra stuff. What type of extra running are you doing? Little sprints, just, just to get me just to get me topped off, just to get my body, my mind, like I just, I knew what I needed to do. And, you know, Jill had a problem with it. Our sports performance people had a problem Black with it. Like, Black is like, oh, okay, well, it seemed to work for you now. He's you just nice go guy. do it. He's not it's argue. a nice guy. As <laughs> teammates, though, like when does that one, that one, like a Ronaldo type or a Kali Lloyd type, right? And you, are you looking and thinking, man, you're making us look bad? That's no. like, no. like, man, stop scoring goals, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, do what you gotta do to get ready. That's how you feel. That's how I always, that's always felt, you know what I mean? And then when it comes to gym stuff, I don't think everybody does the same thing. I think based upon your body, and you know, if you do a function movement at screen, see what you're lacking, to, whether it's hip rotation, or whether it's, you know, history of hamstrings, RDL, glute activation, like everybody's gonna have their own thing that they need to do to be ready so that they can perform at a high level. I don't think everybody's ever gonna be the same yeah, in like, terms of what they do. Did you feel like that was accepted on the men's side? No, I think that everybody kind of had their own thing to a certain degree, you know what I mean? Depending on what they what they needed with the team. I mean, mostly it's with the club team that you're working on that stuff because it's year round, week in and week out. With the national team, the only time you truly get to like feel like you're together and work on stuff is before major competitions because you're having send-off games, you're building up to, you know, the, the long tournament where you have to get out of the group stage so you actually can work on more stuff. But for me, it's more, what are you doing in the off-season, pre-season with your club team that's, that's gonna get you ready to, for injury prevention throughout the year? And I get that, like the men's schedule is a little different, but like, do you guys feel like you were being controlled with like what no. you did? I mean, I didn't feel like that way. And to be honest, just going off of what Clint was saying there and kind of to your question, or I think your question about how did it feel, was there a kind of a Whose question reaction? do you want to answer? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I'm gonna answer on both, that's what I do, I can multitask. No, but I, I, for me with the national team, like Clint said, a lot of it is with your club team. That's where your, your kind of regimen is set, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. But like simple things like, when I first came into the team, and I talked about how the, the older players set the tone. So, okay, I finished training. In my mind, I think like, all right, whatever, maybe I need to go do X, Y, and Z. If I see a player who's playing in my position doing something different, well, then my reaction is, all right, well, tomorrow when I'm coming back out, training finishes, I wanna do what he's doing, because he's playing. He's, I'm coming into the team, I'm a young player, I'm new, I'm new to this, I'm trying to learn the ropes, I'm trying to establish myself. I wanna be having, maybe not the same career path as him, but I wanna be playing for the national team. So if he's doing this and that's giving him maybe a slight edge or that's getting him that little bit of separation from where he's at currently to where he wants to be, 
I'm not taking it as like a slight or I'm not looking at that person in envy. I'm looking at them as motivation. They're setting the bar for me. That's admiration. I'm right. like, all right, so this is what it takes to be a consistent player, a regular on the national team. This is what it takes to be someone who is achieving higher heights. So I don't... I had a captain in the club who just said, because you know how we joked about me needing 20 chances to, yeah. to score one goal. <laughs> we joked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the club captain, my first year as a professional, he pulled me aside and said, after every training, you need to set aside 50 balls in the six-yard box, an 18-yard box, and just ping the, the far corner, both feet, do it for 30 minutes after every practice. And I was like, damn, all right. So every practice after 30 minutes, just finishing by myself, bag of balls. And that set the tone for me for, for the rest of my career. But you weren't being told by a sports performance person that you could only hit five reps. No. That's, 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 that's so the that, part that's, that's crazy to that's me. That's what's going on. Like, I think the only time that I ever remember them saying like, hey, we got to shut it down is if maybe it was a longer training. And it was an intense training where... We had two games in a, in a week. Right. You know, I'm saying that. That, that there's a difference there. But to, to your point, Carly, I think if you just do everything that everybody else is doing, there's no separation you're getting from them, right? Whether it's mentally, physically, like, I remember growing up, you know, in Nacogdoches, I just would go, I'd go running. I'd say, who else is out running around the world right now? Like, just to give you that <laughs> mental edge. Like, you're always, but if you just seriously, if you just went to training with your club team and did exactly what everybody else did, and then you just came back, you're really not doing anything that's separating yourself. What's gonna make you great? The What's extra. gonna give, whether it could be the simplest things, staying and doing a little bit more shooting, yeah. doing a little bit more fitness, go in, 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 in the gym, do a little bit more strength and conditioning. But if you're doing those little things extra, that gives you that edge when you look in the mirror that you're not nervous, you're ready. You know you've done what you needed to do for the game. But then it's also just knowing yourself. Yeah. Like you just said, you experimented early on. You tried it. You tried weightlifting. You tried doing these different things. It wasn't as if you said, "I'm so stubborn. I don't want to do this." It's like I tried this. That doesn't help me get to my optimal level. That doesn't challenge me in the way that I need to be challenged to reach the goals that I've set for myself. And so you found what does work for you. So I don't. To me, I don't see anything wrong with and that. And less I is more that. sometimes. Like you know, we we have opportunities with the team. You know, the the cryo, the ice baths. You have all these recovery methods that they provide, which is great. There's no point in doing all a thousand of them. Quality you know, over quality. Like I, I picked my couple of things, ice baths, massages, and I consistently just stuck with them and then consistently stuck with the training bits. But I, I haven't met one player that has reached the top that decided, you know, eh, I don't need to do that many reps. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. So it's, you know, in the, and on the youth levels, youth national teams, you know, coaches are, let's rest our best players to save them. I'm like, these players are 17, 16, <laughs> 17 years old. Rest? They don't need rest. It's just a, you know, it's, it's a plethora of things. When we're talking about U.S. soccer, soccer <laughs> Clint needs to go to the bathroom. Bro, we've been there for an hour, oh, man. My. I'm like, hey, man, I'm hydrated, <laughs> all right? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're worse than a little woman. break? Come on, oh, man. Bladder. Take a look at a sneak peek of next week's episode of Picking It with part two of Carly Lloyd. How important was that relationship for you, the, the personal trainer relationship? I always gave him so much credit, and I didn't give myself enough credit. Right. Because I was the woman in the arena. Mm -hmm. 
He gave me the tools, but I was the one going out and going to battle every day. And uh, yeah, it just, it just completely opened my eyes to a lot of things. You know, the control, the manipulation, um, the brainwashing, the, you know, driving a wedge through my family. Um, all of these things that I didn't see or I didn't have the opportunity for life to slow down for me to see. And I saw it all. And so I was going back and back. And the person that you trust with your life, you, you think that someone that's in your life for that long is gonna do right by you. Um, and it was the total opposite.